Welcome to the Storytelling with Data podcast, where listeners around the world learn to be better storytellers and presenters. We'll cover a wide range of topics that will help you effectively show and tell your data stories. So get ready to separate yourself from the mess of 3D exploding pie charts and deliver knockout presentations. And with that, here's Cole. Thanks for tuning in. This is Cole, and I am excited today to be joined by data storyteller, New Zealander, founder of Rogue Penguin, and author of the new book, which we will be talking about today, The Data Storyteller's Handbook, Kat Greenbrook. Kat, welcome to the Storytelling with Data podcast. Thank you so much. I am, I'm really, really excited to be here, Cole. I've looked up to you for so many years, and I'm just really excited to have this conversation. Me too. And it's funny, right, the way that social media can make the world much smaller, I think, in ways. Because we first met when, or you, I think, had reached out when I had posted about a trip to New Zealand and we actually got a chance to meet up in person. I was thinking back, 2019, I think that would have been, right? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly. It was definitely pre-COVID. I was really, really happy to to meet you in person. In New Zealand, there, there aren't many data visualization or data storytelling conferences or things based here. So sure. I normally have to go elsewhere. But when I heard that you were coming to New Zealand, it was it was pretty exciting. So let's start with your story. I think that would be useful context for folks listening before we get into the details of your book. And I'd like to do something a little different here and seed you with a specific anchor. I'm curious if you remember the first time you made a graph or maybe a particularly memorable time that you made a graph, where that lies along your path and what role it played, if any, in the course that your career has taken. My memory is not good enough to go back to my first graph, so I can give you an example of a memorable one. This would have been maybe 10 years ago. I was working as an analytics consultant, so my job involved, there was a lot of data prep, a lot of modeling, a lot of analytics. I was also studying part-time. I was doing a digital design degree, and as part of my second year, it was like a thesis year where you pick a topic and you go quite deep into that topic and learn more about it. And the topic I picked was data visualization. And so I spent that year making loads of different graphs, different visuals, uh, try and build my skill set, build my portfolio. And the process to, to that point was to find an interesting data set and then visualize that data. I was coming at it from a very graphic designed way. So this was when infographics were very popular. So they were definitely an influence on the way that I was visualizing data. And I remember a particular data set that I looked at, it was on workplace bullying. I think it looked at the different attributes an organization can have and whether those attributes were more or less likely to to foster a, a bullying environment. And I did what I'd always done. I visualized the data and I stepped back and I wasn't comfortable with publishing it. I, I didn't feel, feel comfortable doing it. And it had absolutely nothing to do with the way that I'd visualized the data, that was fine. For me, it was the topic that was holding me back. It's a workplace bullying. It's a very, very emotive topic. 
personally, when I'm on the receiving end of workplace bullying, I think up to one in three people actually have. And oh. I didn't feel comfortable putting just the visualized data out into the world. And so I actually ended up wrapping a whole lot of other information around it, provide that bit more bit more context, a bit more of a look into what you can do if you find yourself in that position, just to help people understand it a little bit more, understand the topic a little bit more. And I think for me, that was one of my defining projects in terms of making that switch from data visualization to data storytelling. And storytelling wasn't even a thing. It wasn't a buzzword. It wasn't even a word really that was used in the data space. We're talking 10 years ago. Right. And I didn't know anything about story, what narrative structure was, anything like that. And I wouldn't for another couple of years down the track. For me, it was just making that switch between communicating or visualizing just data and communicating the message of data. And I think that's what I've stuck with since then. It's about communicating that message rather than just visualizing that data. It's so interesting. The data out there without the message can go in so many different directions and can spiral out of control. We see examples of that all over the place. But when you have the context, you have the understanding, you have the personal connection or story to be able to bring into that, it can completely change the way it's received and interpreted. So fast forward for me. So you have this pivotal moment or experience and where has your career and path gone since then? I finished my degree and I was still working very, very much in the analytics space because I wanted to get more of a data visualization role, but they just weren't available. Uh, like today where you can actually do data visualization full time. And so I actually decided one of the reasons that I decided to create a company and go out on my own was so that I can do what I enjoy doing full time. And I knew I couldn't get that just from one business. So I had to have multiple clients in order to to work the way that I wanted to work. And I did think initially, because data visualization was so popular at the time, I thought, well, I'll create a, a data visualization company and it would be great because it will help engage people with analytics. And that's what I was always frustrated about in my previous analytics roles was that people just weren't engaged enough with the output from analytics. So I'd spend a lot of time building these predictive models and they didn't necessarily create the business impact that I was hoping that they would. So I thought visualization was a solution to to that problem. What I learned early on, and it's kind of stemming from some of what I learned in terms of the study I did was around data visualization will only get you so far. You need to incorporate that with with something else with with you know what we know as story now in terms of communicating a message yeah. and really to pull out those insights and make them understandable by people who don't necessarily want to always look at a data visualization there needs to be something else to go with it and that's where I've stayed and played the data storytelling I'm just very very passionate about communicating the message of data and I've just been experimenting with that ever since I think it's a growing field it's constantly changing and if you're working in it there is necessarily one right way of doing it and I think that's what's so great about it it's always changing yeah it's a a never-ending puzzle and the pieces are a little bit different every time when did you start Rogue Penguin question I think it was 2016 I think it's been about yeah seven and a half years now 
Can you give a sense of what types of clients you work with and what sort of projects just generally? I am based in Wellington, New Zealand, and this is the capital of New Zealand, but it's also where a lot of our government is based. So I do a lot of work for government agencies because I'm generally in their vicinity. Uh, Also, lots of work with businesses that have very large data teams. And so these are generally very, very large businesses. They have skilled people working in as data scientists, as data analysts. And they just need a little bit more help in terms of how they communicate the results of what they find through through these teams who within the wider business. And so I'm constantly working with very, very technical people who just need a little bit more guidance as to how they communicate that to the rest of the business. When did the idea for the book come along and how does that play into your world? Funny, I've I've never... I've never had a huge desire to write a book. I think as soon as I started running workshops, the idea was kind of seeded, but it didn't didn't really go anywhere for for a number of years. So uh, probably a few years ago, I I was like, yeah, I should do this because I was constantly being asked after workshops, do you have any more resources? And I would have a list of resources, your book, one of them. And I would direct people to, to those resources. I didn't have one thing that I could say, this is everything that we've covered in my particular workshop that I could point people to. And so that was always kind of a nagging thing in my mind. I would stop and start writing for years. I had this idea, oh, I should write a book and I'd start and then I wouldn't pick it up for another couple of months and then I'd go back to it and it would be constantly like that. And at the beginning of last year, I think I got, I got pretty serious about it. I was like, if I'm going to do this, I have to allocate some time to it. And I didn't realize just how much time I was going to have to dedicate to it. I got to the point where I actually had to carve out time in terms of saying no to clients. I wasn't taking on any new clients and I didn't take any on any new clients for a year uh, so I could carve out time to write the book. And yeah, it was, it was a lot, a lot of time, a lot of weekends, but I'm very glad that I did it. Yes. And now it's here. Congratulations. Thank you. I've read the book. I wrote the foreword for the book. I have a number of questions about the book that I want to talk with you about today. But I thought before getting to that, I'd love to have you tell those listening about the Data Storytellers Handbook generally. We get a sense from the title, obviously, but can you share for people what they'll find in its pages how it's structured, who it's written for. I have dedicated this book to anyone who's been told to, told or asked to tell a story with their data and not really understood what that means. And I've been in that position before. I've had analytics managers tell me, oh, just make your data tell a story. And I had no idea what that meant. So generally that that's who the book's written for. Uh, this specific audience is people who are probably in those kind of analytics roles and who want a little bit more guidance on how they can communicate their information to people outside of those those data teams. And so I don't class data storytelling as building a dashboard, so it's not going to have anything to do with dashboarding. I think that's another form of data communication and it's a very good form of data communication. I think data storytelling is just for a slightly different audience and involves a slightly different process. Uh, the Data Storytellers Handbook is a guide on how to do data storytelling end-to-end. 
looks at how you can start to think about what impact your work is actually going to have within a business. And I think sometimes this is what's missing from a lot of data communication or data visualization. We don't really understand the change or the impact that, that what we're creating is going to drive. And so I think having, having some sort of process and how you figure that out will help in terms of how you communicate the value of what you do. There are different ways to look at the audience in which you're communicating to. Sometimes when we, we go through this audience understanding, we don't really do much. We, we, we identify the audience. Oh, we're communicating to the marketing manager. Well, okay, that's great if you know all about the marketing manager. But there are some exercises that you can do to get a little bit more understanding of who it is you're communicating to, what are their motivations. Um, then it looks at how do we actually find the story in our data and I think this can be the hardest thing well it's definitely in my experience the hardest thing to do after you've done some and maybe an analytics project there are multiple stories that you can tell from that output and if you try and tell them all at once it's just going to confuse your audience so finding just the right metrics and the information you need to tell one story and tell that one story right I've got a canvas in the book that helps you do that. And then looking at how do you arrange that information into a story. And this for me was the game changer, that, that creating that narrative structure that actually lets you or enables you to create and write the data story. That was a really big thing that I learned along the way that I found really, really helpful to the work that I do, arranging those insights into an actual story. Uh, then it looks at how do you tell that story. And so because my background is very visual, it's just looking at certain ways that you can visualize that data story. But you don't always have to tell a data story through visual mediums. You can, you can just talk it. You can speak it. You can tell someone a data story while standing in line for a coffee. It doesn't have to be a visual representation of data. Uh. Most of the time it is. And so it does, the book looks at the end-to-end -end process or my end-to-end -end process of, of creating and writing and telling a data story. It just gives you a little bit more practical guidance about how to, how to go about that. So you talk about the narrative structure and how that became key for arranging the pieces and for moving from data visualization to story. You mentioned this earlier, but you know, the past few years, story, storytelling, storyteller, these have become very much business buzzwords, which I think on the one hand is fantastic because it means people are recognizing the power. But on the other hand, they get overused and misused, which can dilute what they mean and confuse people. So I'm curious, can you describe for us what you mean when you say story or narrative structure and how you think about that when it comes to communicating data in a business setting? Yes, you're right there. It's a buzzword and it can be a little frustrating sometimes when there are different definitions of story and storytelling and you're just not sure if you're speaking the same language as somebody when you talk about those terms. For me, right. story is, is narrative and it includes three main acts. And this goes back centuries to times of Aristotle. But for me, story has those three acts. And the first act is about setting the scene. It's providing the context, producing the characters. And the second act introduces that drama. It provides that contrast, which storytelling is all about. 
And then the third act resolves the contrast that was introduced by act two. So it completes the story. Narrative structure that I really love is by Randy Olson. Now he is a science communicator. I was introduced to his work at a, at a science communication conference. And he uses three words to join together those acts. And so he uses the word and to set up the, the scene or complete act one. So it makes a whole lot of sentences or statements that agree with each other. So you're setting the scene, providing that contrast. And then he uses the word but, or but is a really strong contrast word to introduce to. And you can use synonyms as well. So you'll be familiar with these. So however, despite, yet, they all introduce that, that contrast to your narrative. And then he uses the word therefore to sum up to introduce act three. So, and, but, therefore, or what he calls it the ABT, uh, helps you define those three acts in terms of creating a story. And I can give you an example of, of just story in general. This is an example that I use in the book. Uh, so it's a movie plot line, and I'm just using these three words to, to describe the de definition of these acts. It starts off with, Africa's animal kingdom is ruled by lions. And Simba is a young lion who will succeed his father Mufasa as king. But when Simba's uncle Scar murders Mufasa, Simba is tricked into thinking he is responsible and flees his homeland. Therefore, Simba needs to overcome his guilt so he can take his rightful place as king. So to me, that's story. And I love the, the simple ABT that you can use to piece those acts together. And data storytelling is no different. It still uses those three acts. It can still use those three words to join the acts. Um, I'll give you an example of a data story. If we're using those words, I could start off, this is a very, very simple one, but you could say last year we had 20,000 customers and held a large proportion of market share. But this year, customer numbers dropped by 25% because of increased competitor activity. Therefore, we need to do something to win back our customers. And that's an example of a data story using those three acts. So to me, story is narrative and storytelling is how you then communicate that narrative that you've written to other people. And I think some of the beauty of the parallel that you just drew between those two examples is you know, we can take the two-hour play or movie and get it down to a couple of sentences, which is very much how it is in the business world as well, where you, you do a big project or you do this huge analysis, but it's not about telling the two-hour version of it always. Sometimes it might be, but sometimes you need to be able to get it down to a couple of sentences or find the in-between that's at the right level of detail for your audience. And I know in the book, you provide a lot of different structures and frameworks. I want to talk about more of those. But one of those is just that structure that you talked through, where you literally have blank lines and then the words and, and then more blank lines to help lead people through thinking about this and through how the stories that they might want to tell with their own data could be conveyed in this manner. I think that's the thing. It's really, really hard to get your data message down to a couple of sentences, especially when you've got a lot of data that you're talking about. But if you truly understand the message you're communicating, and if you can get it down to just that ABT and but therefore, it becomes a lot easier 
to share that message with other people. So much easier. And then you can always bring more detail back into it, Mm -hmm. depending on who your audience is. And actually, when it comes to audience, you have an entire chapter focused on that. You talked a little bit before you mentioned the idea of having tools to help people think through that. But one of the things that struck me in going through was the stakeholder matrix. Can you talk a little bit more about what that is, how you think about it, how you coach others to think about it and use it? Generally, we have a lot of different stakeholders or a lot of different audience groups that we can communicate with. It's just that we don't always want to communicate with all of those groups. We don't have the resources to communicate with all of those groups. And so it's about finding which ones we should be focused on and we should be trying to communicate with and how often we should be trying to communicate with those groups. So it is a quadrant and looks in the x-axis, you've got low interest to high interest. So how interested are your stakeholders in the information that you will be communicating? Then on the y-axis, you've got high influence to low influence in terms of the influence of your stakeholders. So if you are communicating to someone who falls into the high influence, high interest group, you want to keep them really, really engaged with the work that you're doing. You want to communicate with them regularly and you want to try and promote creating those joint decisions. And so they are going to be the people who are going to be seriously engaged with the work that you do. And you want to keep them seriously engaged because they are very, very high influence. On the opposite side, you could have people who have very, very low interest in what you're doing. And they have very, very low influence in terms of the work that you do. And so you can update them if you feel... Should we even communicate to them? You, you don't have to. Sometimes those people can actually move across quadrants. And so if you can increase their interest in what you're doing, they can actually become cheerleaders for the work that you do. And so there is, there is something about communicating them and trying to bring up their interest, but because they don't have a lot of influence in terms of the work that you do, they're not as high priority. So the stakeholder matrix was just about trying to prioritize your different audience groups to make sure that you're spending your communication resources in the right place to talk to the right people. Another topic that you bring up as part of the audience discussion is the role of empathy. Can you say a little bit more about that? Because I think that maybe is one thing that sets the data storyteller or maybe the successful data storyteller apart from their peers. I I think empathy is, it can be demonstrated in a lot of different ways. So in my book, I, I have what I call empathy spectrums which are just ways that you can start to think about your audience in terms of what they may be feeling or how they would prefer to be communicated with. In the book, Empathy Spectrums asks for four different questions. So four different questions that you can ask your audience in terms of how they would prefer to receive your information. So first of all, how well do they understand your topic? Are they a novice or are they an expert? You will communicate to them differently depending on how you answer this. So if they are a novice in terms of what you're communicating, but you are an expert, you cannot start communicating at your level of understanding. And it's about trying to figure out where your audience sit on these spectrums and then where you sit on these spectrums. Because if you've got a big gap between yourself and your audience, you're going to have to work quite hard to close that gap 
in order to create a communication that's going to resonate with them. So that was, that was the first question. The second question, how do they prefer to be communicated with? Do they like a lot of detail in their communication or do they prefer things in a summarized format? How likely are they to react to your message? And so are they going to have a, a spontaneous or gut reaction to the information that you share or are they going to think of it in a more thoughtful, logical way? There are different ways that you can design your communication depending on what your, you think your audience will have their first reaction will be. And the last one, how interested are they in receiving your information? And there are ways that you can design your communication depending on how you think they fall on these spectrums. You can design a communication that is really going to be fit and resonate with your chosen audience group. The thing with these empathy spectrums or having empathy when you're doing storytelling is that you can't necessarily understand your audience or have empathy for your audience if you don't know who they are. So you really have to get quite clear on who it is that you are communicating with in order to think about how they would prefer to receive that communication. And what steps can people take to get more familiar with an unfamiliar audience? That's a good question. And I, I do get this question a lot in terms of I've got a really general audience. I have people who fit across all of these different spectrums. How do I communicate with those groups? And there's no easy answer here. It is really, really difficult to communicate with a general audience because you have to try and tailor whatever you're designing to everybody, which is never going to work. And I think in terms of a general audience, I like to think of a general audience as they don't probably know a lot about the topic that I'm communicating with, so I do need to provide that context. And general audiences, I won't provide a lot of data. And so in a general audience, you're probably going to have people who don't want to receive a lot of data visualization. So you want to try and tailor it to kind of, you know, very, very general, good context, very few data visuals. You'll find if people want to know more information, if you can provide way in which they can do that, the people that want that extra detail will go looking for it. Um, you don't want to just turn people away because you serve up too many data visuals or very few contexts and people just don't understand what's going on from the get-go. You talked about as you were going through the different dimensions in the empathy spectrum, the first one that you talked about was your knowledge versus the person to whom you are communicating or trying to influence. And I think that's one of the places where people often go wrong is when a gap exists there. I think sometimes there is the assumption, well, that the audience you know, they, they should come to where I am as the communicator, which fails or needs to go the other way of you bridging that gap as the communicator for your audience. Are there other common pitfalls that you see people tripping over or falling into when it comes to communicating with data stories? Just going back to your example there, uh, this is sometimes what I think the data literacy or data fluency idea kind of goes a little bit wrong and we have this idea as technical people that we need to upskill other people around the business with data and I think that's good in some ways we we do need to build this data 
jargon or j- talking about data, we need to get more comfortable as a, overall. But but it rest, shouldn't be the excuse to use an obscure yeah, chart type, right? Exactly. We can't rest that responsibility on our audience. We need to improve, like technical people, I'm talking from data perspective, data person's perspective, trying to build that business acumen, trying to build that business knowledge up so we are communicating with our audience in the way that they are already communicating rather than making them, as you say, come to us in terms of we're communicating with data so they should learn more data. And I think this is a conversation that, that it, it's it's happening now and I think a lot of people have different views about it. And I'll be interested to see where that goes, whether that responsibility stays with the, the business on how they, they need to be more data literate or whether it switches a little bit to the data side. No, you need to be more business literate. And yeah, I'm watching that space. Well, and... I guess the one of the really positive parts about the storytelling is that when it's data you're communicating, you're bringing that context in and hopefully that's a way to help bridge that gap, right? Help those sides talk to each other in a way that makes sense. And actually, in chapter five of the book, which is titled The Data Story, you break things into a couple of different types of stories, the time data story, the character data story. Can you talk more about these, what differentiates them, how you guide people to think about them? You also shared some really interesting canvases for people to both learn from examples, but then also potentially map their own data stories onto. The time versus character story, these are about how do you take the next step in your analytics process in terms of how do you find, edit the insights that you have to pull out the right information to tell a story with. So a time, I, all my story data stories revolve around one key metric or one key insight. And so because stories are all about contrast, it is about how do you use data measurement contrast to help build your story upon. And because a lot of the time when we're, when we're doing this data storytelling, if you're an analyst, you're looking at loads of different metrics and this is your starting point. A time data story looks at a data metric and it measures two different measurements of that data metric over different time periods. Uh, You might be looking at say customer churn and you could look at customer churn rate a year ago versus customer churn rate today for a business. And so in this situation the business is the character of the story because customer churn is being measured about the business and churn rate is the the data metric, and then those two measurements a year ago and today, you're contrasting those two data measurements. And so that's the basis of your story. And the canvas helps to make you think about the other information you will need in order to tell that story, a full version of that story. For example, there's a, a building block in the canvas that looks at, okay, what is the reason for that change in data measurement. So if you have a churn rate and it's 20% last year and maybe it's gone up to 25% this year, which is a which is a huge difference, what's the reason for that? What's driving that? So it makes you think about questions that you can actually look to explain what you're seeing in your analysis which you can then go and incorporate into your story. So that's the time data story and then a character data story looks at two different characters at the same point in time. So it's choosing to use a character contrast, show that and illustrate that in a story. So for example, using the same metric, you could be looking at churn rate, 
customer churn rate and you've got business A has a churn rate of 20%, but business B has a churn rate of 15%. And so here you're comparing or contrasting two different characters, same metric, but you are showing a slightly different story by doing so. A lot of the same building blocks apply for these two different types of story. It's just you're choosing to contrast to two different ways of contrasting data measurement. And at what point in a project or an analysis would you direct people to be plotting out their canvas? Is it after the exploration has been done when they already have a message or when's the right time to use the framework? Yeah, so I use the framework to help. You can go back and forth from the canvas to the analysis because I think when you start filling out the canvas, you might find there's actually information you don't know yet. And so you might have to go back and try and research that information. You can start it quite early in terms of, I've, I've seen this insight in the data, or I've seen this change, or I've seen this difference in, in certain data measurements, and I want to start understanding a little bit more about that. So you can use the canvas as a way of helping you to do the analysis, to ask those, those questions, to help understand what's going on. But it is a bit of a back and forth process. When I finish the canvas, when I've filled out all the necessary boxes I need, it's then that I'll start to create my story from it. I won't necessarily start writing that data story of I've only got some of those boxes filled out because it just means I don't have enough information to truly provide, I think, a good comprehensive data story. But when you've got most of the canvas filled out, you can then go on to the next step, which is actually creating that narrative from it. And then it's once the narrative's created that then you'd advise people to turn to their tools and begin creating materials. Is that right? Yeah, so yeah, this is this is a question I get asked a lot. When do I when do I get to visualize data? <laughs> and I think you have to realize the the difference in data visuals. And so I do describe this a little bit in the book. So when you're doing data analysis, you are probably creating a lot of visuals to help you uncover those insights, to help you understand the data you're looking at. And these these are what they call, call discovery visuals. You wouldn't share these. These are purely tools to help you understand and do the analysis. Then when you're wanting to communicate your data story, you design those visuals after you've written the data story. So it comes at the end. So you can have visuals at the very start of the analytics process, and then you have visuals, data storytelling visuals at the end of the data storytelling process. I think it's really hard to design a data storytelling visual or a visual to communicate a message if you don't understand what that message is in the first place. You're just making it hard for yourself. Well, and that's when people just start communicating using those graphs that should have just been for themselves right. without taking the time to plan and think about audience and do all of the things that you're talking about. Exactly. Where do ethics come in? You have a section, I think, within every single chapter called Keep It Honest. Can you talk more about the role of ethics in the context of data stories? I got a lot of pushback when I first started talking about data storytelling, teaching data storytelling. As I, and I'm, as I'm pretty sure you did as well, because uh, people associate storytelling with this idea of it being something fictional, creative, emotive. And being people, led in a bad direction, exactly. potentially, right? <laughs> yeah, and people do. People think, oh, you're just, you're making things up. And you're, you're finding data to support whatever you've made up with this, pre, this preconceived narrative. I definitely don't agree with that process. I think terms of ethics and the data storytelling fits into the analytics process. I do see data analytics and data storytelling as two separate processes. I think analytics comes first. There is a very, very robust analytics process and the analytics process 
has its own ethical questions that you need to ask when you're analyzing that data as well. Then data storytelling, you, you're not communicating something that you've, you've made up. You're communicating the results of something you've analyzed and you want to share those in a very clear way so people understand it. There are ways in which you can make up a story based on data that you've found. This is, this is done. Uh, no getting around that. Data storytelling is a process you can follow and parts of that process can be picked. So in terms of a narrative structure, for example, that's just a narrative structure. You can put any information into that narrative structure and it could be engaging. That information could be made up. So there are things that you do need to think about in terms of your data storytelling process to make sure that you are going through to, to create a very honest story at the end of it. And I think the people that should be doing this exercise or should be communicating these these analytics or the output of analytics are the people who are doing the analysis. And sometimes these people are more likely to shy away from from data storytelling because they don't want to put themselves in a position where they have to communicate that. But I actually think they are the very best people to be in that position to communicate that because they understand the nuances of of the data and the analytics. They understand what it means. And sometimes when you pass analytics outputs over to someone who doesn't necessarily understand that modeling process or isn't familiar with what's what's been analyzed, some of it can get lost in translation in that process. And so the, the story can come out slightly different. And so I think if we can encourage more people who are currently doing analytics to then go the next step and do that data storytelling off the back of it, uh, have a lot more data stories that reflect, honestly reflect the the data that they've originated from. Well, and that's the thing, right? I think not always, but I like to think that when when data gets misinterpreted or when there are, let's say, untrue stories out there, that it it happened by accident versus any sort of malicious intent. And so I very much agree with the idea of having the people who are familiar with the data and have the context and have done the analysis to be the ones developing that skill to tell stories because they're in a good place to do that honestly. Do you have any guidance for the person who is in that sort of role and who maybe isn't feeling confident in their ability to tell a story? Where can people try it out? Are there places from your perspective where a story is more likely to work or less likely to work that you can use to give general guidance on when should someone opt for a story structure when communicating? It does, from my experience, come down to your audience and whether or not they need a story. You'll find a lot of people, a lot of technical people, a lot of people maybe working in operations, they don't necessarily need the story, they need the dashboard. So if you are communicating to someone who's a subject expert, so who knows a lot about the data or the topic that you're communicating, they likely don't need you to provide that story, which gives them all that context because they already understand it. They already know. This is the difference for me, I think, in terms of dashboard versus data story. What what does your audience need? It does come down to what do they already know? don't want to be reiterating something where they're just going to get bored because they learned it years ago. They've been living and breathing this. They can do with a dashboard. They just need to see the data. Whereas you have other audiences who are quite far removed from the data. They may not know anything about a unit or team that you're working in. 
And so they'll need you to give that that context. And so for a wider business audience, say you're doing a presentation, a data story in that situation is great. You wouldn't go to a business-wide presentation and hold up a dashboard because that's not going to work very well. And believe me, I have done this. Doesn't work. <laughs> You've really got to figure out what your audience needs and what context they require. I solicited questions on social media and from my team. So I want to switch gears a little bit just in terms of these are going to bounce around a bit because they're coming from different people. But I have some more questions for you related to topics in the book and in your experience. So Alex on the team here raised one that's posed to us relatively regularly. And as you mentioned, you're based in New Zealand, which I think means you'll have interesting perspective to share. Do you adjust or how do you adjust for international audiences when you are presenting data or presenting a data story? Or how do you tailor things or think about tailoring things for an audience who's in another region? And I think this is interesting, both from the standpoint in what you present, the visuals or the slides, and maybe how you present also. So just in coming from a workshop perspective, if I'm communicating data, I will tailor the exercises to that particular region. So the exercises that I'll pull through will be to do with data from that region. I have a workshop coming up this week, and that's for an organization in the UK. And so the exercises that I'll be using for that have to do with data from the UK. It's just about making it relative to whoever it is that you're you're talking to. Don't think there's there's much in terms of tailoring what I teach in particular because I think that's pretty universal. But I also don't don't go into every single country and teach my way of storytelling, right? So there are certain countries around the world I'm sure where my method isn't going to work just because it's based on a narrative structure that may not work for, for certain languages. I don't really have a way around that. I think that's a tricky one. Tom asked a question about the ROI, so return on investment of data storytelling. How do you articulate the value, and I assume he means to management or to an organization, of developing skills in this area and being able to do data storytelling well? Return on investment from data storytelling, it's not always measurable, but sometimes it is. You can tie your data story or your data communication to an action that you can measure. And that action comes with a certain value. You can put a money value on it. That's great. Then theoretically, you can measure the effect of data storytelling. You can have control groups and whatnot, and that's that's possible. It's not usually that straightforward it's though, right? Not, no, it's really not. Uh, but it is a bit like saying... Okay, we want to measure the ROI of communication in our business yes. because that's the same thing. Essentially, we're talking data storytelling is about how do we effectively communicate our data or our data insights. And if we look at it as a form of communication, coming up with the ROI of that seems it, it seems a bit crazy. It's not quite to the right do. question, right? Yeah. For me, I think when when businesses are wanting to prove it through ROI, they're they're maybe not ready for it yet or haven't accepted that there is a need and value here. 
because I think data storytelling or communicating with data when it's done well means that better discussions are happening and better decisions get made and kind of everything gets better as a result of that. Do you think about data storytelling and approaching it differently when you're communicating in person versus virtually? How does the ultimate way that you're communicating play in to either how you plan or how you execute a data story or, or does it? I think with data storytelling, the thing is that you can, you don't have to be there in person. You don't have to be there virtually. You can just write it in an email and communicate that way. Maybe what people are shy away from in terms of data storytelling is they don't see themselves as a presenter. They don't see themselves as a, I'm going to stand up in front of everyone or I'm going to be on a Zoom call and I'm going to be telling a story. I think some of the best data storytelling that I've seen comes from people who are more introverted and do like to take their time and think about it, go through it, visually present it rather than actually have to stand up and present it. Uh, personally, I don't, I don't see a huge difference in terms of in-person versus online. I do prefer in-person, especially when everybody turns the camera off if you're presenting on Zoom or something and you see no faces and you yeah, have no awful. idea. It doesn't really change. And I you just you imagine everyone smiling, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think you have to be a little bit more animated just to that barrier, right? It's an extra barrier, whereas in-person, yes. there's, there's, there's something about being in-person that's just, I think, a little bit nicer. Michael asked whether you have any plans for translating the data storyteller's handbook into other languages. I think he may have been specifically interested in Indonesian, but I'm interested in the question more generally, as I assume other listeners might be as well. Great question. I would, I would love to. So I self-published Data Storyteller's Handbook, and I am still navigating this publishing world, and it is a massive world so it is on my list of things to look into and I have been approached uh, to have it translated into certain languages but I haven't haven't gone any further than that yet uh, came out in December and we're now in February and so it's it's still early but it's definitely on my radar I'm always curious in other people's writing processes, any quirks when it comes to your routine or insights into the process that you might share? I honestly feel like I could fit it around what I was already doing, but it just didn't work out that way. So I did have to dedicate real time to, to the writing process. And for me, what held me back from writing and creating the book for quite a while was actually the look of the book. It's a very, very visual book. It has quite a unique design. And yeah, super scannable and lots of space. But yeah, you can like flip through and, and when something piques your interest, you can stop and kind of dive in there. Which is great. That's, that's completely what I was going for. But the style I just didn't have in my head and I just, it held me back for a really long time because I wanted to make the book a very, very visual book. And I just didn't know what it was going to look like. I actually did a presentation at a conference I think it was late in 2022, where I thought, I'm just going to experiment with a different way of presenting slides. And I got some good feedback on that particular style. And I thought, okay, I can, I can make this the book style. And that's what it became. So the writing process was, I'd pick a day where maybe I was wanting to dive deep into a topic and I, that would be my writing day. And then I, the next day could be a design day because I just wasn't trying to think too hard. And so the design was, was quite easy to fit around the process. And 
I worked with an editor and so I would write a chapter, design a chapter and then send it off to her. And so her feedback would come back and then make the changes. And then I would ship that particular chapter out to a whole bunch of beta readers. And my beta readers were absolutely incredible for my particular writing journey. And I would highly recommend anyone who's thinking of writing a book to, to get people involved as early as possible. They would just get chapter by chapter and it's, it's whoever wanted to read what chapter. I, I had loads of people because I put a I put a post out on, on LinkedIn just asking for beta readers. So the majority of my beta readers I'd never met in person, but I got to know over email and they were from all over the world. And it was amazing. Some of the really good beta readers that I had, English was not their first language. And it was really good because they knew how to write English better than I knew how to write English because I didn't get taught how to do that. Uh, so they would be sure. picking up on all these things. Oh, your grammar isn't great there and you need to change this. And I was like, oh my goodness, thank you so much. <laughs> so a lot of people involved in the process made it a really enjoyable experience. Yeah, and it gives you accountability to people outside of yourself, which can be a useful driver as well. Yes, absolutely. So one more question from me. I saw in your acknowledgments that you thanked a 12-year-old for reading the entire book. Am I right to assume that this is your 12-year-old? Yes, my, my daughter Hayden, she uh, was part of my process. And so I just, I uh, think I actually paid her. <laughs> she was um, game though. She She read the book start to finish. I just printed it out for her and she highlighted every word that she didn't understand. And this was really helpful because I wanted my book to be understood by a wide variety of, of skills and, and knowledge. And I didn't want it to be filled with technical jargon. And we're all, we all have our own cursive knowledge. We all don't know exactly how advanced we are in some, some situations. Uh, and so she did. She highlighted all the words that she didn't understand. And some of those words I've included as terms in my glossary. And some of those words I actually changed because I thought, no, that is my cursive knowledge coming through. There is a better word for that situation. Fantastic. I love it. Yeah. Getting family involved in the process is always a, a great thing and brings different perspective for sure. Kat, it has been an absolute pleasure. Congrats again on the Data Storytellers Handbook. Do you have any final thoughts to leave us with today? Yeah, I think the biggest which for me, as I think I said at the beginning, was figuring out that story and actually having that be the backbone of the communication rather than having the data visual be the backbone. I think you can still have a data story that includes data visuals and the data visuals can be beautiful and engaging. The story that holds it all together if you're communicating through data storytelling. And I think a lot of what's missing in what we call data storytelling today is actually that that story, that narrative or that message, we're just not really sure on what we want to say. So I think if anybody's wanting to, to get better and to upskill in data storytelling, focusing on what are you trying to say? What is your message? What is your story? It can really help you in improving other aspects of it in terms of designing visuals that can really help communicate that better. I absolutely agree. Kat, thank you so much for joining today. Thank you so much for having me. For those listening, be sure to check out Kat's new book, The Data Storyteller's Handbook. Thanks for tuning in.